Welcome everyone, you are listening to Art of Touring, the podcast. I'm your host, Sizdog. First day back at work today after a two-week break, but uh, it's good to be back. Got to catch up with some workmates and headed back into the gym this morning. It was back day today, tomorrow morning chest, looking forward to doing some chest presses. It's funny, I never really uh, was thought I'd be very comfortable in a gym, but... Uh, I've been one of those guys who would, you know, join a gym, then go for a few months, then stop going, um, you know, not see much results. But for some reason, this time around, I'm a lot more uh, motivated to stick with it, probably because I'm a dad now. I'd, uh, I'd, I want to stay active for the twins. So there you go. If anyone's out there contemplating getting back into the gym and needs a good motivator, then have kids. It worked for me. What else has been going on? Uh, I met Mick Foley on the weekend. Uh, who, who, those of you who don't know who Mick Foley is, what are you doing with your life? Mick Foley's the greatest wrestler of all time, all right? Uh, went along to Tommy Dreamer's wrestling promotion called House of Hardcore, uh, where Mick was appearing. Uh, showed him the film clip uh, of Mrs. Foley's baby boy, just the end of it, uh, where I got out Mr. Socko. And he had a genuine smile on his face. He, he was watching the clip. I brought the iPad there, hot-spotted it with my, um, with my iPhone with my iPhone and um yeah he watched the he watched that you know little 10 second grab and he, he had a smile on his dial which um in turn put one on mine as well uh you know got a photo with him gave him a copy of the record you know so great interaction great bloke um and I got to see him do you know the uh the the mandible claw with Mr. Socko in the ring on one of the members of um the Spirit Squad. So yeah, what a great night. And I was front row at the wrestling. Never been front row, got to see Mr. Ass, badass Billy Gunn. Um who else was there? Horn Swoggle, Tommy Dreamer. Um there was uh the Dudley Boys, not both of them, but just Bubba Ray. And uh oh man, what a night. Art of Turing is brought to you every single Tuesday. You can listen to Art of Turing on iTunes or the recently launched Google Podcasts app. This week on the podcast, I had a chat with Brett Wood. Brett Wood plays guitar for Melbourne rock royalty Electric Mary, and he's also the guitar player for Pete Murray. Um, I've known Brett for a very, very long time. So our, our conversation is very relaxed. So relaxed that when we stopped recording, we noticed that we'd been talking for over two hours. <laughs> so I decided to split this episode into two parts. So this week is the first half of the conversation, and next week I'll drop the second hour. There is some coarse language, not much, but there is a little bit uh, in this episode this week. So if you are listening with kids, it might be a good idea to switch it to Mr. Maker uh, for now. And then once they're dropped off at daycare, throw back on AOT. Now let's take a moment to hear from this week's sponsor. I have need for you on the master sale bar, and I think you'll fill in nicely. Episode 13 of Art of Turing is proudly brought to you this week by Jabba's Palace. Are you looking for a secluded palace on the outskirts of Tatooine to raise your rancor? Then come to Jabba's Palace. We have the best Rancor handler this side of the galaxy. He'll take your young Rancor and nurture it until full adulthood, where it'll be fully trained to dispose of any of your adversaries with a single gulp. Jabba's Palace, the only name in Rancor education.
All right, guys, just so you know, Art of Turing is hosted by Wooshka. If you would like to listen on the desktop, you can visit https colon backslash backslash player dot Wooshka, spelled W-H-O-O-S-H-K-A-A dot com backslash shows backslash art dash of dash Turing, or even simpler, maybe just Google it. That'd be good. Here's Brett Wood, otherwise known as Woody, otherwise known as Bretsky, otherwise known as BW. Give it a listen. Welcome to the Art of Touring, everyone. I'm sitting down with uh, left-handed guitar player extraordinaire Brett Wood. How are you, big hey, fella? How's it going? I'm good. Thank you, mate. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, man. I haven't seen you uh, really at all this year, I don't think. It's been quite busy. Growing up. you got a family. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to make money and buy as many guitars as possible. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, most likely the the easiest explanation as to why I haven't seen you is because you've been on the road. That's part of it too, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's been bits on, yeah. And you're touring with um, a couple of acts at the moment. You're with, uh, well, please tell the people, yeah, uh, who, who are you touring with at the moment? Well, my, my band is currently, or has been for probably the last seven years, I've been in Electric Mary. Uh, and before that, uh, was I started playing with Pete Murray as just a side sideman guitar player guy when I was about twenty seven or twenty eight. Yeah. And so yeah, so those two have those those two projects have kept me gainfully employed and and busy. Yes. And busy enough, in amongst teaching and and uh, you know guitar player for hire, you know shenanigans that have, you know if someone's got a gig that they need me for and I'm available, I'll go and do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The Hired Gun. Yeah. There was that really great series on the Netflix called Hired Guns. Did you see that one? I think I did. Yeah, that was good. Pink's guitar player was on that. What's that? Justin Derrico was on that. Uh, Pink's guitar player, is that yes, right? Yes, he was. Yeah. He's he's great. Yeah, uh, they're all monsters on that. I can't remember heaps from... <clears throat> but there was Alice Cooper's, Alice Cooper's um, female, guitarist. She's fe- female the female shredder. one. Yeah. The shredder. She's a shredder. Like, her name escapes play. me at the moment, but... Me too. Yeah, no, they were great, man. There's a great, um, a great uh, uh, doco on the old Netflix. It's um, worth a look. Now we're we're old mates, aren't we? We're, we're old and we're mates. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking about when we uh, when we met, uh-huh. um, and it was in 1999. A good year. A, a very good year. <laughs> uh, we were uh, both studying music at Greensboro TAFE. Now they call it. Melbourne Polytechnic, but to us it was TAFE. Yeah, right. And um, I distinctly remember walking into a um, a rehearsal room because all, all the bands had been decided, you know, um, that week, and mm. we'd been rehearsing. And like, oh, we'll go into one of the other spaces, check out the bands, you know. So I saw this young bloke with a, a left-handed white strat, uh-huh. just you know, ripping it up like a geezer. <laughs> I'm thinking, who is this guy? That's exactly what I was going for too. That, that was my first to, impression. I yeah. wanted to rip it up like a geezer. Like a geezer. <laughs> that that I remember that that was like a. The last rehearsal room before the outside door in that little hallway there or something. Yeah, like, to it was the like the space where you would. It was like <coughs> a secondary rehearsal space because um, directly connected to it was the master control room for the recording. That's right. So you were like in the control that's booth. That's right. There, that's yeah. There's a little look through window there. And yeah. We had a, we had a sax a Scottish sax player in that in that lineup or that ensemble. 
Then and he what? kept wanting to put. I forget his name. He had a ponytail and glasses. He was. I don't a, remember. Him. He was older than us, and he and he just kept on wanting to put stops in whatever song like we were doing, like you know, like <laughs> sections where there's like a, the whole band stops and then yeah. picks it. And he's like, <laughs> I think we must have started looking at him a bit funny because after a while he goes, "I'm just a sucker for stops." A sucker for stops. He's a sucker for stops. <laughs> yeah. And he was. He was a sucker for stops. He loved yeah. it. Well, but I remember there we was met a guy before called then, though. Seamus. We, we met, I remember Seamus, the drummer. Yes. I've, yeah, I've, been, I've bumped into him along the way. A couple of times. Di- yeah, different spots. Yeah, he's a good dude. Far out. Great player too. But uh, we, we met before that on the train to the, to like the, yeah, we met yeah. before then. The train, that Greensboro was a great story as well. Yeah, Greensboro to Collingwood. <laughs> and we were going there for... Because we were going to Greensboro TAFE at the time, but they had like extra classes in Collingwood that like we an had to take. induction couple of days or That's something. That's what it was, yeah. yeah. And um, if memory serves, for some reason, the guys who worked behind the glass at, at Greensboro Railway Station had their own little scam running <laughs> where if you wanted to get a Coke and not pay the dollar fifty, the you machine. could just pay a dollar. And they had a stockpile. <laughs> so these guys are just going to Coles, <laughs> getting Coke and selling it to the kids for a profit. And hey, look, you know, and that was back when I would drink Coke in the morning. Mm. I still know musicians that do that. Really? Yeah, I wonder what they're... What their internal organs look like sometimes. Man, that's mental. And I'd be sipping... Well, I mean, you can tell the story. Well, you were sitting there on the... Like, you cracked it like... And, you, and like, the look on your face as you had your first sip of Coke across the across the train from me. Because we hadn't really met each other. But I think I said something like, man, you were drinking that Coca-Cola similar to those guys in Tron when they were, like, dying of thirst and scooped their... Their, you know, their back discs or whatever it was, you know, scooped it into the, the pond of life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and how all their lights were lighting up, and everyone's yes. like, "Oh, we're great. We're we're now we're we're a good we're a healthy megabyte now." Yeah, <laughs> and I just remember as soon as you made that reference, you knew it was all I, over. I just knew this is going to be my best mate. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to know each other for a long time, a long, long time. Yeah, and oh we God. have, and we have, man. Yeah. yeah, well, we we may not see each other as often as as we like, but I know when we do get to hang out, it's it's like no time's passed, and that's definitely the measure of a, a true friend. So. Oh. I feel the same way, bro. Yeah, it's a cool thing. So, well, let's just pretend for a while here that we don't know each other. Sure. Um, for our listeners, and I would like to ask you um, where you grew up. Where Where are you from? I'm from Greensboro. I was born at Diamond Valley Hospital in uh, March of 1980. So, yeah, I've been in... And I've, my family is still living there currently. Mum and Dad still live in the same house that I grew up in. Yeah. And my sister and her husband and little family are in Bundura. So, we've all sort of stayed in the area and that's been nice. I went to Greensboro Primary School across from Greensboro Plaza there. Yeah. And uh, mum taught and still does uh, teach kinder at Greensboro Kindergarten. She's Greensboro still there. Greensboro Preschool. Yeah, she's still there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 62, 63 now, I think, mum is. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, Greensboro and then Montmorency Secondary College I went to. Monty. Monty Secondary College. Yeah. Which was pretty rough school, actually, back in back in those days. I don't know what it's like now. There's another alumni of Monty Secondary College walking through <laughs> the door right now. Yeah. And you went pen- to Monty, didn't you? She did. <laughs> Monty High. Yeah. Montmorency. Is it Monty High now? Mon- no, 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 but it was Monty High before it was Monty Secondary College. Ah, oh, that's right. It was High first and then, yeah, Secondary. Yeah. 
So what, what year did you finish up? Were you a year, year below me or was it? No, I Ah, right, right, right. But your family went years years prior, so they got they had some Monty High, and then you took on the secondary. secondary There's a college. lot of Duplessis at Monty High uh-huh. throughout the nineties. Yeah. Four of them they yeah. took over. So you were there, and the and there was <laughs> tearing a, it down. And <laughs> there was another character on the scene um, uh, in your year level, Sharon, Shannon Bourne. Yeah, he was, was he yeah, in your he year was level? the year above actually. Oh, but, the year but above. But one of my best mates at that school was in the in the year above. I went to. Uh, went to kinder with a fellow that was a year older than me and I think, I don't know that work, he left and maybe I stayed in kinder an extra year because I was shy or something like that. Like I did right. two, two years of kindy. I failed failed finger painting or something. Hey, look, I failed grade two, man. Yeah, right. I had to stay down in grade two later. Well, that's a tough year. It was a tough, tough <laughs> year. Tough yeah, year. Yeah, trying was... to get your head around. Um, yeah. Uh, puzzles? Puzzles. Of, man, I don't still, know what it is. They still do my head. Balloon blowing? What are they, what are they doing in grade two? I, go, I teach guitar at Eltham College and sometimes I wonder what they do. Although right. they've, they're pretty busy. I don't, think I, was as, I don't think I was as busy as them and as clever as them <laughs> at grade two. Yeah. I think there's definitely more pressure on them these days. Than what was on us? Oh, most definitely. Yeah. yeah they have to figure out how to use an iPad by the time they're two, yeah, let think, alone grade two. Yeah, I think in grade two, I was still colouring in Spider-Man. Right. Um, yeah, that was school for me then, probably. And um, so, you were at, um, at Greensboro Primary, and, and then you, you got into uh, uh, Montmorency Secondary College. And then Shannon and I became fast friends as soon as I heard him playing Yeah. Uh, playing a nylon string, some cruddy little nylon string in the guitar storeroom. I heard him. I can't remember what song he was playing. It was something bluesy because Shannon's a great blues blues advocate. And, and yeah, he just has these hands. Shannon's just got these like strong hands. Can and you know you know how hard it is to bend a string on an island string. He was he was really giving this thing a run for its money. And, yeah. I, was, and I was just putting my crappy Samic, you know, two hundred dollar Samic steel string acoustic in a spot mm. that I thought it hopefully hopefully wouldn't get knocked over and. I was just getting blown away by this guy, and I thought I have to find out who he is. And I, I might have said, might have said hello to him then, but I definitely hit my hit my friend up, Glenn Nielsen. I asked Glenn, "Who's that guy who plays guitar?" Yeah, he had long black hair, and he goes, "Oh, that's Shannon. Yeah, he doesn't never stops playing guitar. He did one of those. Like, yeah, well, he never stops." <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, cool. I got to get to know." Him. He goes, "Yeah, I'll introduce you." And then he took me into. We had this place in Montmorency called the Dungeon, which was a music room in between the girls and boys' toilets in a in a block. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, it was it was a room, obviously a, a vacant gap that they decided to fill up and make it into a really ice cold music room. Right. It didn't have any instruments in it, but that's where they would send some. You know, obviously rock bands and grunge bands to to practice. Yeah, and yeah, and Shannon had a little jam uh, organised that he would do with a drummer uh, named Trent Ma and himself. And I think I can't remember if there was a bass player. I don't think there was originally. And my invitation into that was Shannon was very gracious and was like, "Yeah, yeah, you can come and play with this man. You can jam. Can you play chords?" So those. It's like those like chats that you have when you're in year seven and eight. You sure. know, it's like, yeah, man, you can be in our band. Do you know chords? Yeah, can you play chords? <laughs> I, like, yeah. I can solo over the chords. I, I said, I know a few chords. I, I know House of the Rising Sun, and that's got four, five. I think it's got five chords in it or something. I yeah, said, you know, A minor, C, D, F, E. You know, because when when did you actually pick up the guitar? Like, um, I was probably just about fourteen. I think I was around about fourteen. That year eight. Yeah. Uh no, thirteen and a half. So I was. 
halfway through, I was halfway through year seven when I started. Right. So I was 13 and a half. And what was the catalyst for you to pick up the guitar and start playing? Uh, it happened probably pretty naturally, but by accident a little bit. I, well, we, Mum and Dad went on a holiday and, you know, our parents back then used to hire holiday houses. Like they wouldn't go to a resort or they wouldn't go to a... Well, some parents, some people's parents might have, but we weren't, sure. we weren't that well off. So we would often go down to Sorrento for the school holidays or something and you would hire a, you would hire, rent somebody's house when they would go on somewhere else. Kind of like an early version of Airbnb. A little bit, yeah, very yeah. much. And so there was a guitar that had been left under a bed in one of these houses. And, Is that right? And I probably was about 13 and a half when that happened. Exactly. It was probably a couple of months after my birthday, 13th birthday. Yes. And um, so I wouldn't have been quite 13 and a half, but uh, I started noodling on that. And I remember I worked out, uh, like the little melody for Tears in Heaven, because that was a a big song at that moment. At the time, yeah. And so I'd heard that a lot on the radio. So I instantly started trying to figure out, you know, some single note things. Sure. And that I liked that. But then after that, it was very much... Uh, I wanted to play keyboards and bec- largely because of a show called The Wonder Years where Kevin had uh, <laughs> Kevin had to have piano lessons. Is that right? And he didn't want to go to piano lessons and the, the, the moral of that particular episode was how he didn't really want to go, didn't like the lady he was learning off, didn't want to practice and then he had a recital that he had to do and he practiced a lot for the recital and he had to play a song called Ca- uh, Parker Bell's Canon in D Major. Right, yeah. And I liked that melody so yes. much. I liked the way the chord sounded so much that I made mum and dad buy me a cheap little, you know, like a Yamaha keyboard. And I started trying to learn it from like joining a bit of knowledge that I had from year seven music. I got the music, the sheet music for it. I think it was in C major, so it was easier. Yes. And I was trying to figure it out. And then, uh, yeah, and then the next step was uh, was one of mum and dad's friends were over for mum's 40th birthday and he heard me tinkering on the piano and he came in and he started playing it, what I was trying to play. And I was like, oh, mind blown. Yep. How'd you do that? Yep. And uh, and he goes, well, if you like that, he went out to the car and he brought in a steel string acoustic and started finger picking, ah. started playing uh, House of the Rising Sun, but finger style. Dun, who dun, was dun, this? Ding, 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 His name was Kevin Sidebottom. And, and who was it? Sorry, did you say? He was a friend of mum and dad's. Oh, okay. Um, just an old family friend. Uh, we'd gone to gone to kinder and st- I think mum had taught their their kids at kinder or something. And right. Anyway, they they were just friends and um, and uh, he was kind enough to when he when he went to hand me his guitar, he saw that I turned it over other handed, like he handed it to me as if I was a right hander, and yes. I flipped it over instantly because my natural instinct was to play left handed. Flip it over, yeah. And he kind of did the whole. Oh, you're not left-handed at anything else, are you? Yeah. And so, yeah. And uh, he was very, very sweet because he, he, I could tell he was frustrated. He said to mum, like he looked at mum and dad, he goes, is he left-handed at other things? And they went, oh, yeah, he writes left-handed and he draws left-handed. And he goes, oh, okay. So he went out to the car and got a broken guitar that had like the neck had been like wood screwed back on. Yes. And he restrung it for me left-handed and then showed me showed me the chords to what he was doing. He said, you practice that for two months and see if yeah. you can get that good. Showed me how to finger pick a little bit. He said, you do your thumb on the low strings and fingers on the others. And he just sort of mapped it out for me so I could get going. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, and I, and I was, that was, I was hooked instantly. It was like, like bolt of lightning. Wow. You know? Yeah. Real moment. Yes. Very lucky that that happened. 
because it's been good to me. I mean, sometimes I wish, sometimes I wonder if I should have chosen another career path. <laughs> Usually, when I'm sitting at airports amongst lemmings, you know, I'm trying to, you know, it's just the amount of people that you have to sift through. It's a bad idea touring in school holidays, folks. If you're ever going to plan your own tour, band, bands tour, don't do it in school holidays. It's just stay away from school holidays. Airports are bad enough. But in school holidays, it's the, mental. Cause, yeah, because there's an overpopulation issue, which yeah. is probably for someone else's podcast. I like Bill Burr's theory is that you should start picking off cruise ships. <laughs> All the people that can go on. <laughs> so he's like, it's a good cross-section of people. <laughs> oh, uh, it's pretty harsh. It's pretty, yeah, that's pretty a black. Shocker, that it's, I've heard it's, that it's, it's pretty, a yeah, it's pretty black. But you know what? I, I, as, as, a, as a human that tours a lot and spends a lot of time in public transport, especially airports and internationally and, and just domestically in Australia, I can't really argue with the, the mentality of where a joke like that would come from. I get that it's, I get that it's too heavy to yeah, actually yeah. be a real thing. Yeah. Next, it's but kind when of like you a page see, out of Thanos' yeah, book, isn't it? That's right. Very much so. It's, <laughs> you know, it's funny how art imitates life. These things, these things get stuck getting thrown in movies. You can bet your bottom dollar that in the next 10, 15 years, some of these things are going to be on the news. Yeah. It's scary, man. I mean, Thanos isn't going to be on the news, but the idea of what he's about. Yeah, it's mental. Yeah. Yeah, it's mental. Yeah. There's um, a lot of people out there, folks. We're yeah. talking to you, hopefully. <laughs> Sorry to offend. No, well, um, the uh, it's certainly a, a very heavy topic, the old... Um, uh, overpopulation. Yeah, overpopulation, you know. But look, wh- whenever my, my lady talks to me about any anything that's really going on in the world, um, I, I kind of just talk to say I've, I have like a standard line i just kind of say look i don't really deal in that kind of black imagery you know like, that's, that's that's kind of my mantra like, that's great it's it's kind of like i'm in a little bubble <laughs> and if it's got nothing to do with like what's going on like right in front of me right now i know it's pretty selfish but i've got two kids i've got to worry about like i've got time to worry about you know, um, politics and stuff like that. Absolutely. You know, like I'm, I'm more worried about where the next meal's going to come from for my kids and keeping my job and stuff like that. You know, and obviously, being a citizen of the world, you, you need to be a little bit aware of your surroundings. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to go to the shops and pick up your stuff and you know and 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 live in the life. But you know, there well, you yeah. go. But getting back onto um, your your origin story of uh-huh. um, guitar playing, yeah, you find yourself at uh, Monty, um, and you've really just picked up the guitar, you, you know, like you said, you could play House of the Rising Sun, you worked on it for a couple of months, and you've just, you, you couldn't look back. Uh-huh. And then you, you meet an, an older student, Shannon, um, who, who lets you jam. Tell me a little bit more about that um, that time where, where you started jamming and started figuring out, like, what the instrument could actually do and what you could do with the instrument. Oh, yeah. Well, there's... The first jam <clears throat> came about very much just straight from him saying, look, can you play some chords? And I was like, yeah. So he showed me, he showed me a, a little chord slash riff, like a little like this little thing that I could loop around so that he could solo. Ah. And he had an, an electric guitar for that, and I was playing an electric acoustic. And we had the drummer, and we all we set off to play this thing. And I just remember the uh, nerves and the electricity running through me of going, "Oh my God, we're making, like we're making it the sound." And yes. It was also distracting too because he was really good. He was already really good. Really you good. Know, he'd yeah. been playing since primary school, and 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 he'd 
So you were in year eight and he would have been in year nine. I was in year seven at that point. So like I said, it was kind of probably... So he was only in year eight. It was probably about halfway through year seven or maybe even almost all the way through year seven when I got the chance to jam with Shannon. And right. Sort of start, you know, a little musical friendship with him through our school years. Uh, so yeah, I was in year seven and he was in year eight and he was already... That was the frightening thing. Anybody who's grown up uh, knowing Shannon will always will all testify to how he sounded like you know better than a lot of guys that had been doing it for thirty years when he was a kid. Yeah, right. He was, he was already it was like prodigy kind of thing. Like yeah, not supposed to. Re- it was like Nathan Cavalieri was able to play blues really good when he was a kid. Yeah, Nathan Cavalieri, man. You know, he had a good good pedigree with his dad being a guitar teacher. But I think yeah, I'm, I'm playing with him um, in two weeks. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's a good fellow. Yeah, I'm yeah. Uh, hopefully going to get to meet him. I, I hit him up on Instagram and said, you know, I'd love to have him on the podcast. Yes. Um, but um, yeah, he, he did get back to me. Um, sure. Uh, but yeah, I'm just waiting to hear back from his management. So that might happen. It might not. I'm not really fast either way. But I'm looking forward to his set. Yeah. Um, because because yeah, like I remember as a kid watching him on Hey Hey Saturday. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and he, I remember he played with Mark Knopfler, and, and my dad, oh. my dad was listening to uh, a lot of Dire Straits at the time. And yeah. I was like, wow, that's cool. Yeah, a lot of people used to think I was Nathan when I used to start uh, when I was uh, getting up and guesting with Tommy because maybe we had the same floppy haircut, like that part, that old nineties part hair in the yeah. middle. Yeah. Um, that went to about your ears kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> like, a lot of people would come up and say, you're looking really well because I think Nathan suffered from leukemia as a young fellow. That's where a lot of that oh. uh, the stuff came about. Was He was he was a ripper little guitar player for, you know, all of like, what, seven or eight years old. Yeah. But, um, you know, like the Strat, when he was playing a Strat, it looked bigger than he did. Yeah, like it, it stunted his growth a little bit. Well, I don't know if it, uh, maybe it did. I'm not sure. I'd have to, you'd have to ask him that. But because he's, he's a fit little guy. Like he's oh, he's muscly. F- yeah, yeah. He's always always looked after himself. Yeah, I think he's been one of those guys. I don't know. I don't. I only just got to meet him recently at, at an Electric Mary show. It was good to get to chat to him a little bit. He's he's a bit of a new new acquaintance for me. I, I haven't mm. known him, but it was funny how many people came up to me after Tommy gigs and went, "Hey, you're looking really well, Nathan. Looking great." <laughs> 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 You'd be like, yeah, wrong, I was wrong like, oh, I just went, oh, cool, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what to do. It's like, oh, someone's talking to me. I'm just a kid. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's <laughs> wild, man. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, how long after um, you were jamming with um, Shannon did you kind of yeah get in with Tommy Emmanuel and pretty soon after a few years after? Yeah. Like I think jamming with Shannon was really like instrumental in me growing faster because he was so good already and he was really. Uh, he was he was really willing to share a lot of things with me too. Like we spent, as you do when you're kids. Like and and he he and I lived literally two blocks from each other's house. Oh, is that right? So you could I could walk to his house anytime I wanted, really, basically, yeah. and and vice versa. And you know, every single weekend we'd be in you know our drummer's basement kind of deal, jamming and learning new songs and seeing if we could go in a battle of the bands somewhere or trying to find a gig somewhere. And you know, we had different permutations of the same band different name you know you'd make a thing to cover the drum kit with the name of the band yeah on it. What, what were some of the names of, of uh, the of i think we were crossfire the first one we were was crossfire yeah maybe. and then uh oh god there was probably two or three others i can't remember the crossfire stuck around for a bit it did yeah <laughs> i'd have to look through i'd have to look through mum and dad's photo album to figure it out yeah you know um 
but none really stuck. It was always like, oh, we'll change the name again for this yeah, battle or whatever. Yeah, I don't think we ever really did anything all that, you know. We we had a couple of little jams that we would do in, you know, youth centres and stuff. That sure, would, yeah. would happen on a regular basis or a couple of, every couple of weeks we'd go and set up and mm. our parents would all drive us there and we'd carry our amps in and set everything up and make noise and... Yeah, it was good, but I think uh, the 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 main thing being being in that environment and being around a player who was much more advanced than me helped me get uh, a lot of miles on the board that I probably wouldn't have otherwise. You know, hanging out with a really good player was like, okay, great, this is you know something to sink my teeth into. And, yeah, and it's also probably uh, it's like that Mount Everest theory. It's like no one's it's impossible until someone does it. Sure. So if you can see somebody do something that most other guitar players, you know, there would be a lot of 30-year-olds who would have seen Shannon play guitar and go, that's impossible. He can't play that good. Yeah. Whereas I saw it and went, it must be possible because he's only a year older than me. So that must be possible, right? Yeah, it was more attainable. So I just practiced and practiced and practiced. Yeah. Yeah, it was probably only about two two years after I started playing that I started a a rapport with Tommy. Mm. Um. Went and saw him play a bunch of times. Wrote him a bunch of fan mail because yes. there was there was a fan mail thing attached to Tommy's uh, um, one of his albums. Yes, and I wrote letters to him all the time. Asked the yeah, air a fair few, probably a good, probably a good forty or fifty letters inside of. <laughs> I went nuts, yeah. Cause, yeah, well, and the reason being, here's the thing. This is why was because the very first letter that I wrote, I got a response. Ah. And it was a, uh, it was in the form of a. Uh, uh, they offered the, whoever was looking after his fan club mailing address, which I found out later at the time was his wife at the time, Yana. She had uh, sent me back an enrolment form to his fan club, with a little personal note written on the side of the enrolment form saying, "Dear Brett, thank you very much for your letter. I've passed it on to Tommy. Mm. Here's our fan club, like blah blah blah." And I'm like. Someone passed my letter on to Tommy Emmanuel. I'm writing another letter. Yes. And I'm writing another letter. They're passing it all on. He's going to get these. You know, I went mental. Like, yeah, I was like, yeah. wow. 14, 15 years old. I was, yeah, crazy. Because yeah. like, that was when Tommy was living in Australia. He was living in Australia. He was on Hey Hey at Saturday every couple of months. He was yeah. on He was on all the two. You know, he, that was back in the years where you had a record deal and you went out and you did the press junket. You know, yeah. And it worked. Yes, it doesn't work like that anymore. No. Doesn't the, it's a, with social media and the way YouTube is and and things. People's attention span isn't that that you know it's not tuned into those things anymore. Yeah, yeah, not because well, there's so many other avenues to get your entertainment. Well, exactly, and there's so many other channels now, and there's so many other. You got Netflix, and you got all these other things. Whereas, like, so back in the nineties, it's just TV, man. On a Saturday night, you had three channels and SBS to watch. Yep, you know, the radio, and that was it. Four channels max, or the radio, and, and you know, most of Australia was tuned into Hey Eight Saturday or whatever. So. Yeah. And uh, Tommy was made for those kinds of shows, man. He was made for that kind of exposure because he's so seasoned as a as a muso and an entertainer. He was yeah. he was taught from a very very young age. You go out there, you make sure your hair's good, you smile, you try and make the people have a good time. Don't yeah. just don't just play your guitar and look down. You look up and make them all happy. Yes, you know his his uh, his upbringing was geared towards entertaining, not just playing the guitar. And then it just turns turns out that he's probably one of the most prolific all-round guitar players in history. Yeah. Um, 
who can entertain people as well. Yeah, it's, it's a rare combo. Yeah, it's like old school cabaret meets you know you know um, virtuosic guitar player kind of guy. It's, yeah, it's a very strange combination. Which is probably where I don't, where I fell over with that stuff. I chased Tommy around for years, and I, I, th- I think he got a bit, uh, what's the right word, miffed. I think he, or, or I think he was confused that it didn't seem like I wanted to do exactly what he was doing. Right. Around about maybe I was about I'd known him since I was fifteen or sixteen gotten up and played with him a whole bunch of times and so can you tell me the bridge between writing letters to tommy and then actually getting up on stage with him because that's a pretty big that's a big deal job. yeah <laughs> yeah man i yeah i wonder sometimes if i manifested that i and i've as i've gotten older and i've learned a little bit of, about the power of thinking and the power of our minds yeah I I think back to it and think i wonder if i kind of manifested that like where even from the first letter i was like I'm writing to him, you know, and I'm asking him about where he gets his custom-made straps from, thinking I'm going to get a response. Right. And then the letters that followed, knowing that he was literally, I knew that he was actually getting them, they had my phone number at the bottom. Right. One day he'll call, you know, or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> and so the the bridge was one day he did call. I was at school in the music room playing <sighs> jamming with Shannon and whoever was on the drums that day and dad showed up because we lived pretty close to school so he'd ridden his bike down or he'd walked walked down or something and he goes uh sorry to interrupt guys Brett can you just come out here for a second I'm like hey what are you doing here like you're at school it's lunchtime yeah because um yeah Tommy Emmanuel just rang our house (laughs) (laughs) what yeah it was like that and, uh, and I said, "You're kidding!" And he goes, "No, I'm not kidding. He rang our house. He rang the. He goes, he said he's calling back at four. So I just came down to school to make sure you got the message home at four to get home. Don't 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 come back here and jam with your mates, like because yeah. that's what I, I often I'd stay back after school and have a play or whatever. Of course. So I raced home and sat by the phone. There it rings, and he goes, "Hey, good on you for putting your phone phone number in there, mate. It's very smart. I'm really busy. I've got so many things on." He goes, "That just saves a lot of time, and it means that we can we can get down to business." Now you had a lot of questions, and he had a list of all my questions, and he was no, he didn't willing to answer them all. Yes, yeah. he got his straps made by some leather leather guy in WA or something, and yeah, you know, and it just. The, that chat meant the world to me, and 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 that he took the time, and I think he even said something like Yana. He said my wife says that I shouldn't do this stuff, but he said I could tell that you uh, you're really really into it. Yeah, and he said uh, I'm certainly not trying to. You know, he's trying to say I'm not trying to. You know. Uh, get you to be more interested in me so you'll buy merch or, you know, he said, I'm not trying to sell anything to you. I'm just just trying to honour your questions and, sure. and, you know, just want to be here for you. If I if I can answer anything, I will. Yeah. And then he said, uh, next time you come to a show, come up and say hi. You know, yeah. please, please introduce yourself. And so the next time we saw him play, I did that. And um, it was a really weird moment. He kind of looked at me and I was wearing a Maton guitar T-shirt. And uh, he he saw me and he went, Brett, like did the whole. Is he, are you are you Brett? This Pro- is during the show. No, this was after he'd. So <laughs> this is the other weird thing. The night that we saw him play that particular night, he was playing in Warburton at the local theatre in Warburton, and he was doing two shows. Huh. And Mum and Dad and my sister and I were going to watch. We had tickets to the second show, which was the evening. Right. 
but we got there really early because my mum and dad are like that. They're yeah. just punctual. And they were like, we'll get there early. We won't have to stress about traffic and we'll go to the local pub and we'll have a, we'll have a meal. So we get there and Tommy's just about started the show. You can see people filing in and I'm going, hmm, this looks like, it just looked like a little town hall kind of thing. Yeah. And I was like, and he started playing and I could hear it from where we parked our car out the back in a little dirt spot. For the show that you weren't going to... show that we didn't have tickets to. And sure. I was like, oh, I wonder if I'll get in trouble if I listen on the side. And it was raining. And I said to mum and dad, I'm not hungry. Can I, I'll just stay here. And I just stuck my head to the side door and listened to the whole set. The whole gig. He played for an hour and a half. I listened to the whole thing. <laughs> and he came out after that to sign and I was dripping. I was drenched. <laughs> and mum and dad came back from the pub and I was around the side because I could see him. He'd come out and he was signing for people. And that's it. That's when I met him. Yeah. He, he, saw, he, must, he must have put two and two together going, little kid. He's obviously been standing out in the rain. I reckon he's been listening to this to me play, and I apologise because I could see him doing the I could see him doing the maths going. Well, after he said, "You must be Brett, right?" and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." And he's like, he goes, "Yeah, cool." He, and I think he said something like, "Did you enjoy the gig?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah," but I wasn't inside. He goes, "I didn't think so." I was like, "Yeah, I was outside." <laughs> he got I, was, you. Yeah. I said, "It's okay," but I bought tickets. I'm, I'm coming to see you. I'm coming to see the next show. And he goes, "What do you mean?" I go, "I bought tickets." He goes. So you stood at the side the whole gig and you're going to come see me play? And I go, yeah. Oh, I better not play the same songs. I go, no, you can play all the same songs. They're great. <laughs> you know, so we, better not play the same songs. Yeah. And I, yeah, so we hit it off. He he signed some stuff for me. And then he, and then I think we had to explain it again. We'll see you after the next show. And he goes, well, are you going home? Oh, hang on. He was all confused again. And I was like, no, no, no. Yeah. We, never mind. We'll see you later. Yeah. And um, yeah, he did a great show. It was just a small, probably a hundred people, you know. Yep. And then I remember the first time anyone had ever given me any advice. So I'm I'm probably fifteen and a half at this point. Sure. He said, "Have you seen?" He said to me, "So yeah." He put two and two together at the end of that second show. So it's evening now, and he's sitting back signing, and he's wiped. He's to- he's totaled because he's just played like three or four hours worth of just solo guitar. And turned himself inside out. He's done two shows back to back. Yeah. And uh, and then when we saw him again, he kind of started piecing it together going, oh, and then, and then I was able to explain better. Go, no, mate, mum and dad just got here early and I sent them to the pub and I didn't eat. I haven't eaten anything. I just listened to both of your gigs. Ah. But one of them I listened outside the venue. And I said, yeah. sorry, like, sorry about that. That's a bit cheeky. Yeah. I probably should have bought a ticket. He goes, oh, that makes sense now. He goes, oh, you're a madman. Okay, cool. All right. And so anyway, he said, let me tell you this. He goes, have you seen my live band play? And I said, yes, I have. He goes, right. When I do these shows, he goes, this is the reason I did two. This is where I make some money because I don't have to pay everybody. Right. That was the first advice anybody ever gave me in in this industry. Yeah. You know, at 15. I've always remembered it. I don't know if I was, I have, certainly haven't always put it into practice because I became a, a guy for hire, but... But yeah, that was that was incredible advice. He was like, you know, and what a heavy thing to be telling a fifteen-year-old kid. He goes, "Don't you ever forget it. This is where I make my money." Yeah. On those other shows, he said, "The great fun, and it's always entertaining, and it's a killer band, and there's lights, and it's big sound, and everything, and I play electric guitar, and then a bit of acoustic, and then back on the electric." Sure. But I don't make any money on those ones. <laughs> no money. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. Cool. You know. And so, and that's the truth, you know, like a, a lot of people now, like look at Ed Sheeran, he doesn't need a band. Right. And there's a reason for that. 
I mean, yeah. he's he's developed his whole career that way. Like he supported Pete and I with one of those small boss loop stations, like the two pedal boss loop stations, you know, back yeah. in 2010 or something, 2009. And he was just a polite teenage kid, you know. I think he was about nineteen or twenty, with a with a little back backpack and a yeah, an acoustic guitar, you know. But so yeah, the the full band touring it's uh, it can be quite costly. Yeah, as you would know with your band, like yeah, you know, when you travel and 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 duck away somewhere, you got all your flights, you're a com, it's it all adds up. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, we're we're in a position where we. Um, Everyone in the band has a day gig and we do look at it like, uh, you know, what money the band makes we'll keep for the band and we'll pretty much just treat it as a little mini holiday for ourselves. So we'll pay for our own, um, you know, flights and, okay. and a comm. Yep. Um, we'll most likely let the kitty pay for the van because then that's even another cost Expense. on top. Yeah. But as far as flights, everyone's happy to wear that. You do know. you all end up staying the same a comm? Well, ironically, this little tour leg or whatever you'd call it, little mini um, couple of shows we're doing in Sydney in a couple of weeks at the Jamboree Music Festival, um, the night before we're playing at the Captain Cook Hotel, um, the 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 first night, the guitarist is just staying with a mate because he knows a mate up in Sydney and the rest of us are just going to stay at the backpackers. Yeah. Um, but then the second night, um, it's billeted. Right. I didn't even know what that term was at the start of oh, this year. No kidding, yeah. You know, billeted, for those who don't know, means that someone who's associated with the festival will just put up their house and let the muso stay there. Mm -hmm. And the first time I experienced that was, yeah, last year um, when we played Mitchell Creek where we, um, yeah, we, we played up in Kandanga for the Mitchell Creek Rock and Blues Festival. And, and yeah, they just put us up in... No, that wasn't for that. That was in a tent. No, the <laughs> the first experience with Billiton well, was... that's cheaper comp. Yeah, the, the tent was <laughs> cheap. No, no, it was for Brutheran. That was this year over Easter. That's right. I'm losing it. Um, so, yeah, man, but... I was just wondering if there's, yeah. like, if there's like a high... If there's any kind of like a... Uh, you know, if you have, if there's a difference in the scope of like where people in your band are willing to stay, you know, like all, oh, you know like what I mean? That. Like if you're, if you're all booking your own comms. Yeah, no, no, we all stay together. This is the first time anyone's ever stayed separately. Right. Um, usually we're all in the same place. Yep. Um, and it makes it easier for sound check and blah, yeah, blah, blah. we're all there at the same. Yeah. We're in the same van. We're all there. You know. Yeah. I mean, we even take a sound guy up um, to wherever we play. I think Ick has only missed one or two shows. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll, he'll, and he, he's just like one of the band, like he'll pay for his flights, he'll, you know, he'll pay for the comm just so that he can be there for us. It's a really cool thing, you know. That's very lucky. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, and then at least with, there's that constant that we have at every show that, you know. You know what um, you're going to give. Yeah, I mean, and he's a seasoned guy. He's, he's been doing it for years. So no matter what, um, you know, set up or mixing um, console is in front of him he's, we know he's going to be able to pull a great sound and look I had a lot of reservations about it for years because um, I was like oh, well, do we really need to bring our own guy but then you know I, I listened back to some of the footage that he captured from the desk um, at Mitchell Creek and it sounded like the record like we sounded great yeah killer it, especially at one point where I actually brought my guitar up to that show because usually for those gigs I don't bother playing guitar but um, we were asked to play for an hour, so we we're like, "Well, we better play everything um, on the album, pretty much." Um, and there's two songs on the album that I play guitar on. One of them, you know, I get a bit of a solo, which is indulging because um, <laughs> I'm no guitar player, but I love, I love to, I love, love to play guitar. And um, yeah, there was a moment in the live footage that he captured that he had me in the right 
speaker and you know old mate in the left really uh captured it great like oh yeah ick is the man it's so great to have him on board you know because i'm I'm not hearing that on stage i'm just hearing the fallback i don't know what's how it's coming out the front yeah yeah, yeah. you know and if it didn't if we didn't have ick who knows what kind of sound we'd be getting you know it could be rubbish it could be great it could be could be bad so yeah you know at least we have that concept but there you go man yeah um so going back a little bit to um to your early days do you remember where you actually played your first gig yeah. Oh, yeah. I think. Well, yeah. The first gig I played was back at my primary school, back at Greensboro Primary School, and Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Flynn, who was teaching music at Monty Secondary College. So I was, yeah. I was year seven. She let me come and perform um, "Silent Night" <laughs> on, at a at a school Christmas carols or something like that. I on the in, piano. No, no, no! On the guitar, on the guitar, solo, solo guitar, with no and with no concept that I had absolutely no concept that I was just playing the melody. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like my parents were just saying, "That sounds really beautiful, Brent. That's great." And I thought, "Oh, great! It's beautiful. I should just play it somewhere." <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's, it's very similar to a lot of yeah, a lot of a lot of my students at their first guitar night, their first yeah. guitar soiree. We call them at Eltham College. Um, and I and I I just I sort of don't always pull that out of the memory bank for that, but I remember my early years thinking anything that you can play is is worth performing if you can play it properly, if you can play it well. Yes, might as well get up there and share it and it's, show it's, other it's people. A, well, it's a sharing thing. It's like you know, yeah. rather than just keeping it to yourself. Admirable. Yeah. So anyway, so I I did the admirable thing and I accepted the invitation and I went and played and I was shaking. My hands were shaking and I was like, yeah, was the, probably the most nervous I've been. Other than a few, sometimes I get pretty nervous at weddings. But yeah, that was my first, uh, you know, like when you're playing someone's um, Walking Down the Aisle song, like when you're ah, doing the ceremony. Yeah. That, that sometimes spins me out because you quite often having to learn some obscure, you know, Ben Howard song or some obscure, um, you know, who's that guy's name? One of those indie guys, you know, it'll be some, it'll be some, some quirky, band you've never some heard quirky of, yeah, bloody they, triple J guy or something. Yeah. And you've got a, you know, they've got a weird sounding voice and their guitars all yeah. open tune. And you they've just, got a connection to that song and, and you don't yeah, want to screw it up. You don't want to screw it up because they know it inside out and, yeah. and you just learnt it yesterday or whatever, you know. <laughs> In that's, the car on the way yeah, to the gig. That's, that's like instantly transporting myself back to the, the netball, the outdoor netball oval of Greensboro Primary School for the Christmas carols that I played where I played my first gig. It's like yeah, the same, same kind, kind of, of nervous, yeah, even, wow. even at 38. Yeah. Still getting those nerves. Well, well the other healthy, thing too is, is usually you probably hopefully they're only going to do that thing once. So you get one shot at it. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, hopefully, it, it's just one. If you screw it up, it's not like uh, you guys want to just walk back out and yeah, maybe yeah. just time that a little bit better. That's the other thing that happens at weddings is they'll don't. Sometimes they'll give you this song that goes for five minutes, and you know that the bride, like you, you ask the you ask the. Uh, you know the MC, the or, MC, or what? I forget uh, the celebrant. You say how many couples have they got? And they go, oh, three. I'm like, oh. I might only get a verse and chorus out before the bride's actually at the like at the front, mm. and sometimes I only get a verse and I'm like oh, I missed the chorus. Damn it! You know, like so you got to try and oh, sometimes you got to walk real quick. Sometimes you got to make arrangement adjustments and go yeah. And if they walk too fast and all that stuff, you won't even get to the chorus in time. Yeah, sometimes yeah, you're like oh, I better not do the intro. Like I better just Far start out. at the verse. Yeah. Because I don't often do the ceremony. I often I, usually the wedding gigs I play. 
are just at the reception. The party party. The party party, you know. But actually being a muso in charge of playing acoustic uh, versions of a song for when they're walking down the aisle, I can see why you're getting nervous. It because can be just a, yeah. saying that sentence, I'm actually quite mm-hmm. freaking out a little bit. It's a sort of a daunting task. It's, My gosh. Yeah, yeah. And do you have singers also accompanying you doing that sometimes? Or no, most of the time it's just acoustic? Yeah, and... rarely. Occasionally it'll be a female singer and I'll be playing guitar accompaniment. But most, yeah. Mo- like, yeah, nine times out of ten, it's just me. Far out, and a, and a little powered speaker and, you yeah. know. A wing in a prayer sometimes, you know. I guess if you if you're a fly on the wall in a lot of those situations, it probably doesn't come out as good as most people hope, right? Um, you know, and I'm talking about uh, myself included. You know, like, but but the, I guess the truth is they're not focusing on you. That's the other thing, the mistake right. that I make is they're not really focusing in on you. It's you're still wallpaper. Exactly, they're just looking at the hubby. Yeah, it's they've know, got bigger, bigger fish to fry that day. That's their whole emotion is yeah. and their focus is tied up in what it should be tied up. You're in. You're the icing on the cake that they get to look back on in the video, going, "Oh, he killed that it was guitar all right. part. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. That guitar part. Hopefully, yeah, yeah." And, and then, and, and, <laughs> Yeah, but to be the, a fly but, on the wall for that conversation. Yeah, to, it's good to actually talk that out because I can think about that now, now that I've actually verbalised it. I can actually think about that the next time I'm in the, yeah. I'm in the hot seat. But it's that moment where you're kind of playing. You know, it's quite often I'll be playing some backgroundy kind of finger picking acoustic. Yes, just while people are milling about, and then the celebrant has everybody sort of positioned, and then and then they'll uh, they'll sort of come up to me and they'll just go, okay, it's, uh, start the real one now. Yeah, start the song that they've requested. Yeah. Like, and then it's, it's, there's sort of this hush, this like, <laughs> you know, eternal silence that sort of happens as everybody, you hear like, you know, <laughs> the turning of feet because they're turning to look and see who's walking in. Yes. And it's that moment where the fear hits you. You go, oh yeah. man. And yeah, in that moment now, I'll remember that I said, they're not focused on me. That's no. Great. That's good. That's, that's it. Now, that hopefully, that will uh, help with those nerves. That's like therapy, yeah. We thank yeah. you for the therapy session. Hey, mate, you know, I'm an accidental uh, <laughs> podcasting <laughs> therapist. <That's right. laughs> for the, the downtrodden muso. Yeah, yeah, about the guy that goes to the therapist and says, Doc, Doc, I keep thinking of my dog. I keep thinking of my dog. And he goes, well, hop up on the couch and we'll talk about it. He goes, I can't. I'm not allowed on the furniture. <laughs> That's a good one. It's not really. But it's, that's my only therapist joke. I like that one. Um, so you've um, you, you've you've cut your teeth in the scene. You've 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 played your first gig at the Christmas Carols gig. Yep. You've gone. You've you've met Shannon, who's become a you know a, an, influence. A, an influence, a mentor, and then you've met a, a a really big influence and mentor in Tommy. Yep. Um, and then we fast forward to well, when we meet. Yes. Um, uh, in nineteen ninety nine. Yep. 19 years ago. Yeah, holy cow. Right? Yeah, right. Um, and we only get to play a handful of times together yep. um, in TAFE and, and you you, you, it's, you decide it's not for you yep. and, and you leave the course um, after about maybe six, seven months or whatever it was. Yep. Um, wow, good memory. I stick with it for three years. Yeah. Because I stick it failed out. My, a couple of subjects in the second year. Okay. It was Which like subjects you failed? I failed um, keyboard studies. Okay. And I failed theory. Okay. The two things that still... I had a lot of, there was a lot of sight singing stuff and, and, yeah. and reciting melodies like verbatim. All oh, that stuff I was fine with, but just the keyboard studies, I think I was just, I was just too... Um, 
I was a bit lazy. You know, I was eight, 19, 20. I was too concerned about other right. things. and just. But I did want to finish it. So I went back to two days a week the following year and finished my course. Yep. So I was like, I'm not going to invest two years into this and not get my piece of paper. And I'm really glad I did, you know. Yeah, it's a good thing. But um, yeah, and so then you go from there. And so what band mm. did you start playing with when you left TAFE? Ooh. There was a band called Smoke and Joe's. <laughs> It was a blues band no, with that name? No, it was a cover band. A I cover band? We were playing like Drops of Jupiter and things like that. Oh, like, you went straight into the cover band scene? Pretty much, yeah. Oh, wow. Yep. Yeah, that would have been the that would have been one of the first bands I remember I had. And I remember I had a, a Fender Solid State amp. Like it was like, wasn't it wasn't a tube amp. Right. I, I didn't really know what they did. Yeah. Uh, tone-wise and stuff. So I had this like cheaper that was called a Fender Performer 1000 that I bought from Marcel when Marcel used to work. Marcel Yamuni used to work, a good friend of ours, used to work for Main Street Music. Main for, Street, yeah, yeah. For his cousin Tony. And, um, and uh, yeah, and so anyway, so I had that amp in Smoke and Joe's and I remember one night at a rehearsal room in Ringwood, there's like a rehearsal space around the back from Soundworks in Ringwood. Okay. We were rehearsing in there, and it was back in the days when people used to smoke in rehearsal rooms. <laughs> and it, the drummer in that band used to smoke the heaviest cigarettes. It was insane. Mm. It was full on. I just remember thinking, like, just one whiff of what he was breathing out. I just was like, how can you do that to yourself? Yeah. It was like smoking pure tar, like right off the road. <laughs> it was full on. <laughs> anyway, I remember one night there was extra smoke in the room one night, and I turned around, it was my amp. Oh, is that right? Because they played loud too. Like he was a hard-hitting drummer. He was a good drummer. Yeah. And he hit hard and, and my little poor little Fender transistor amp couldn't keep up and it blew up. Yep. And and cooked itself and there was smoke billowing out from behind it. So after that, that's when you got your... Um, got your my first tube amp. Who I've still got to this day. And, and Tommy Tommy gave me his on a permanent loan. He said, I've got, I've got some spare Fender amps. You can have one. Yeah. So, yeah, so I've had that since forever. Since That would have been around about the year after. That would have been my first band after TAFE, I think. Because the DeVille's the taller one and the Deluxe was the shorter one, That's right. right. And I remember because my first guitar, that a guitar amp that I bought was a, a Deluxe. Uh -huh. um, a lot to do with what you were playing right. at the time. And um, I remember you introduced me to Jeff Buckley as well. Yeah. At TAFE. Yeah. Uh, and Holy cow, did I do that? Yeah, dude. You came into class one day. And you had a little dictaphone with you. Yes. And, and some headphones. You said, Dave, check this out. And you played me Hallelujah. Uh-huh. But it wasn't Jeff Buckley. It was you. You were singing it oh. and playing it. And I'm like, what? what? This is great. Yeah, what right. am I listening to, Brett? <laughs> this is insane. He goes... You know what I was doing there? And, and you, you should have seen your face. Your face just lit up. Oh, yeah, because I, like, I didn't know if I could sing. Yeah, well, you can. That was my, well, that was my check. I had a few people, yourself and maybe two other people. That I remember doing that now. But yeah. I, I think... You that know, was how I was introduced to Jeff Buckley. I would Buckley. do it to singers. I would do it to singers yeah. that I knew were good. Like I'd go, oh, okay. Now I'd feel a chuffed. I had, I had, <laughs> uh, there was, a, there was a, a female singing teacher at Ron Lee's Music Factory. I used to teach guitar out in Moorabbin. Yeah. Uh, or Hyatt at Ron Lee's. And there were, I forget her name now, but she was, she was really nice as well. And so I got two, I got two thumbs up. I got one thumbs down from, huh. from someone and I can't... Uh, 
you think I'd remember who that was, but I got a eh. Yeah. One of those. It wasn't necessarily a thumbs down. It was just eh. Eh. Not crap, but just eh. Yeah, right. But I got two thumbs up. And because I didn't tell you who it was first, I was chuffed. I was like, yeah, That's I could see face. your face changing. Because I knew. Because I was into it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then when you told me it was you, I freaked out. Oh, wicked. That's so it was, it was a double banger. It was me <laughs> discovering an artist. In you, well, two, really, two artists. And two artists in one. Well, no, well, well really three because it wasn't even Leonard his tune. Cohen, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Leonard Cohen, yeah. Yeah, I was, I'm far what from a an artist. I'm a thief, not an artist. But yeah, it was, it was, that was, that's a cool memory. I wish I, I, I didn't remember that it was that song, but I remember, yeah. I remember testing it out, like with, like trying to, trying to see if I could make something sound good enough that it would, mm. it would be acceptable. Well, not long after we, we did a gig at the Mercat Cross. Um, the Mercat Cross. The Mercat Cross near. Um, it was near the Vic, the, the Vic Market. Yes. Um, and we we practiced. Lover, you should have come over. And yes. that top balcony yeah, the, thing. Yeah, it was a lofty kind of joint. Yeah, it was like one of the two or three gigs we've ever done. Noisy place. It, re- oh, it was a terrible place for a gig. And Michelle Burner. Michelle... I think she even played. Yeah, yeah, yeah she did. Yeah, well, and we invited our family and stuff. It was kind of like a cafe kind of vibe. And we had practiced some tunes. I think maybe it was even a... I think it was it was a covers gig, basically. Right. You know, but one of them... We were like, let's do Lover, You Should Have Come Over. And I remember you, we were playing it, you know, and I was just having the time of my life going, man, this this song is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? We're getting to play Jeff, you know. I wish we had been able to see him. I, did, I found out yeah. about Jeff Buckley from the newspaper article when he passed. I read it right. and was like, oh, what? Who's this guy? Right, yeah. See, I only knew, ever knew him. And then yeah, there was this influx from, I don't know, what year that would have been when he passed. Was it like 96? It was 97 or 96. 97, I think it was. Somewhere there, yeah. Yeah, and I remember there was like this uh, this like movement of like guys that were singing like him. Well, there was a Jonathan Flack. Yes. Remember him? Yeah, I do remember Jonathan I've Flack. I've tried to find him. Okay. And I've never been able to find him. He's he just was vanished. incredible. He was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I'm sure he still is. I hope, he, sure, I hope he's, I hope still, he's singing. still playing. That dude was out of control. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember we we had like that that talk to uh, with one of our lecturers, like you know, guys, you know, most of you won't make it, <laughs> you know. And then Jonathan, like, he left the the lecturer, like that guy's full of shit. I know I'm going to make it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I was like, out of all these dudes, I actually believe him because he he like what you had with Shannon like looking up to him going sure, man that yeah. guy he was that guy he, for you he, a little bit you know I mean he didn't even go to our school he was at Collingwood right so we only met him on that little time the crossovers and sometime yeah. he would cross over and perform for us and we'd perform for them and that yeah. but yeah he was one of those dudes man yeah he had a set of pipes there. I think he certainly did yeah that's an interesting thing making it isn't it because it's like yeah you kind of have to uh, as he as as some people, I think, are lucky enough to figure that out earlier, but I figured it out probably, well, I'm probably still figuring it out, but it's kind of like it's more about defining your expectations, like that quote-unquote yeah. making it is like if you actually, I think if if they had a said to us when we were at those schools, define your expectations. Yes. You know, what is your version of making it? What would you be, what would, what would make you happy? You yeah. Know? It's like that John Lennon quote, like he said to a teacher, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? He said, I want to be happy. Well, that's not, you don't understand the question. He said, well, you don't understand the answer. The answer, yeah. You know, he was yeah. onto it very young. He was switched yeah, right on. Yeah, switched on. That, that's, that's the perfect example and of a quote that's talking about defining your expectations. Yeah. You know. That's it, man. 
poor old John didn't want to be doing what Paul's doing now. He didn't want to do that. Right. He didn't. He didn't. He said, I, "Last thing I could think of that I want in my life is to be wheeled out on stage." Yeah. When I can barely walk in, anymore to go, she loves you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. But he. But he Paul's just. He can't help it, man. He loves it's it. Diff- it's a different personality. Different type, personality you know, type. Yeah. Defining your expectations, and I'm so glad that Paul does that because I watch it. I check it out on YouTube. Yeah, and go, it's amazing. That's great. I watched that couple karaoke that he did. That's got like a billion views. Have you seen that? Oh. Oh, yeah. actually, I did see a little bit of it. It was just recent, wasn't yeah, it? It's about, yeah, it goes for about 20 minutes. A and billion I, views. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it, it broke the internet, as the kids say. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, at the end of the, the um, yeah, because the, the people that are listening, you've most likely seen the, the, the premise. Um, J- James Gordon, or Gordon um, you know, has a, an artist in the car and he just, oh, do you want to listen to some music? Oh, okay. And then he puts the artist's Their song music on. And, on yeah. yeah, and they sing along to it. But then I thought that's all it was. But but after they sing part of the song, it's just a, gen, a genuine interview. Right. And they start talking about the track and how they wrote it and blah, 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 blah and yeah. all the historical stuff. Yeah, and cool. his one is really cool because it's, it's in London. And he's going down Penny Lane, and he's going down all the places, and he goes to the actual place, yeah, was in Liverpool. where he lived and grew yeah. up and stuff. And then yeah. at the very end of the thing, they see him. Um, uh, they they put on a show at one of the very first pubs he played. Right. Um, they open the curtain, and all these people are just punters, just there Having for an afternoon drink. Pint. Yeah. <laughs> Paul McCartney just starts playing. She loves you, and yeah. everyone's just losing their minds. Anyway, it's a great thing. But um, yeah, no. So just <laughs> defining expectations. Obviously, we can't all be Paul McCartney, but well, the, the yeah, and, and especially like those. There's two guys in the same band. Well, probably four guys in the same band who had all four. Four of them would have had different expectations of of, of what they thought making it was. Yes. And it just so happened that they were in probably the most influential band, band. in history. Yeah. That just happened. Like, they, yeah. didn't, they didn't go out to do that. No. That's not that's not what they were trying to do. They are just trying to be a band. Yeah. And a bloody that. good one. Absolutely. Yeah, to which all bands now, are, you know, have a, a measuring stick to, mm-hmm. to to measure themselves on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you started playing... Um, with um, what was the name of the blues band? Smoke and Joe's. Smoke and Joe's. That was just cover band. We were the cover doing, band. Yeah. Um, and you start. You, you released your own record um, around about that time as well. Yeah. Which was instrumental. Oh, I forgot about the other band. Was Deja Vu. Oh, Deja Vu. Corporate. Yes. Corporate. The corporate band. The sh- yeah, corporate schmaltzy cover band. And that was back when you were <laughs> living the the. Um, it wasn't that schmaltzy, <laughs> but it just felt schmaltzy because we had outfits, you know what I mean? Like, that's when, it, yes. to me, that felt schmaltzy. But it was very pro, like, for a kid, you know, like, I was 18, yeah. 19 years old. Yeah, that was the other band. So Playing I forgot, Deja Vu. I forgot about that band. And that's I mean, how we met, yeah, Michelle Berner and... Michi, yeah, and Marcus Ryan. Marcus Ryan. John Castle, uh, Anthony J, the singer. Like, Anthony's a, a mogul, and he's got an incredible voice. And yes. He, he was the spearhead of that band, and there was a guitar player that I replaced named Fred LeDuc. Mm. And Fred had a solo record, a solo guitar record. So yes. I was kind of seeing everybody do things and go, oh, maybe I could do that. And that's and then I yeah. started working on my solo record. And it was cool because the two guys in that band that I used on the solo record, I, I used John Castle as my producer engineer and I used Marcus Ryan on Z Drums. So yeah, far out. I haven't thought about that for years. But yeah, so we had these, we had these outfits when I joined f- from Fred LeDuc that were these crushed velvet... Everyone was in a different coloured suit, so it was kind of like... Is that right? It was kind of a little bit like the corporate band, more adult version of the Wiggles. Like, yes. AJ had a purple crushed velvet suit because I think he was a bit of a Prince, prince Fan, freak. Fan, yeah. And um, uh, 
and uh, I had a I had a white crushed velvet suit and far out. Yeah, yeah. You sort of go out on stage feeling a little bit like Gumby or a teddy bear or something, but. And the know. gigs were like corporate gigs and like and weddings, or were they no, all corporate? It was just all corporate. We were playing at Crown at the Palladium almost every week. You know, I remember for like the A and Z briefing party or whatever. All and that stuff, you know. Yeah, like right. All through two two sort of busy corporate seasons of the year, which is probably circulated around Christmas and mid year or something like that. It was, yes, it was flat out and. Um, you know, it was all of like two hundred bucks or two fifty a gig or something, and yeah, um, you know, I just remember the old, you know, parking at the loading bay behind Crown on Power Street there, and and then having to, you know, some security guy coming up as we're like tuning up and setting up for a sound check. Some guy coming, oh, he's gonna have to come move these cars. And we're like, yeah, no worries. <laughs> Marcus Ryan would be the last one to move his car because he's the drummer. He's trying to see if he could sneak a park inside the loading bay so that he'd have yeah. his car there for the end of the gig. That's and, it. You know, we'd all move our cars and Marcus would be going, oh, maybe I might just wait till later. And Yeah, they were good days. I remember <laughs> far out Deja Vu. I can't believe I listed Smoke and Joe's before Deja Vu. Sorry, AJ. There you go. Yeah, Anthony J. He's still, uh, Anthony J is still, still involved in music. I think they've still got that band going, you know, now. Really? The same name and everything? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Wow. I mean, well, it's a, it's a, it's a big, like it's a high quality show that he puts on. He, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I sort of took the, took the mickey out of it before and sort of called it schmulty, but that's just because I remember the outfits. <laughs> right, right. Because I'm a bit more of a, a blues guy. I grew up, you know, like you just... Yeah. You know, but it's not like there's any backing tracks in that band. Like, how, they're all no, crazy I, players. Yeah, they're all great players and, and it was all, and all the harmonies are together and, and, and it used to be... I remember that was one of the first experiences that I'd have where you learn, you know, three quarters of a song because the last quarter of it, it segues into another song. And every song in a set was segued. There was no, there was no stopping. Yeah. To go, thank you very much. This next song is, there was nothing like that. It was just like bang, 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 medley, the whole set. The whole set was a medley. We used to do, we used to do a 90 minute set. It was like flat out from the start to finish. So to get a fill in, to get a fill in was a real nightmare because you had to know which song came when and where your part was. And, you know, yeah. So yeah, Deja Vu, they, they really uh, earned some stripes in that, in that band. And that's a wrap for this week. Tune in next week for part two of the chat with BW. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, give the podcast a share on social media. Use the hashtag Art of Turing Podcast on Instagram and give us a follow at Art of Turing. Also, go check out my band, Smokestack Rhino, who are featured in this podcast every week. Our opening and closing theme is a song called Screwdriver Girls, and you can check out the whole song on iTunes. You can follow the band on Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, Bandcamp, Twitter, even our very own website, www.smokestackrhino.com. To keep up to date with our gigs, though, give us a like on Facebook, where all our touring dates will be uploaded as soon as they come in. If you'd like to get in contact with me, please email me directly at artoftouringpodcast.com podcast at gmail.com maybe you would like to come on the show if you're a touring musician give me a holler 
You can listen to Art of Touring on Wooshka and you can download it on iTunes. If you've enjoyed this episode or previous episodes of the podcast, uh, please take a moment to give the podcast a rating within the podcast app on your phone and write a short review. So what you want to do is go to your podcast's uh, app. It's purple on on the iPhone. Not sure what color it is on the Google. It's probably white, most likely, on the Google one. Scroll down to the very bottom of uh, the Art of Turing page within the app, and then you'll see a little rating system. You just, you know, give it five stars or whatever you like, and then it'll have write a review, and you can do it within the phone. You don't have to go on the desktop to do that. So, yeah, that would be rad if you could do that for me. Thank you very much. This That is all for this week. Before I go, I have a few shout-outs. Shout-out to Chris Wall, who designed the artwork for the show. You can follow him on Instagram at Mr. Wall, spelled W-A-H-L. Big thanks to my guest this week, BW, Brett Wood. If you'd like to see him in action, go check out all the tour dates for Pete Murray and Electric Mary. And as I mentioned before, he'll be back next week for part two. Now let's get into some plugs. My band, Smokestack Rhino, are playing in Sydney this Friday, July 20th at the Captain Cook Hotel with Flickertail and Readermaster. Then on Saturday, July 21st, we'll be playing at the inaugural Jamaroo Music Festival alongside 1920, Nathan Cavalieri, Roshani, uh, the Swamp Stompers, Mike Erlington, heaps more. Tickets are available from their website, www.jamboreemusicfestival.com. We'll also be playing a hometown show on Friday, August 3rd at the Bendigo Hotel in Collingwood. So not in Bendigo, it's just called the Bendigo Hotel. It is in Collingwood uh, with a band called Whoopie Cat, Winter Moon and Swedish Pop Factory. All events are up on our Facebook page, so hit attending. You can download our debut album from iTunes or go to our Bandcamp page to purchase a physical copy or grab a t-shirt. That's all from me this week. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next time for another episode of Art of Touring with the Sith Dog. Ow, ow, ow! Remember, this week's podcast was brought to you by Jabba's Palace, the first name in Rancor Raising. <laughs>